Hi everyone, and welcome to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir, the only pod that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside word on the world of tech and growth from the insiders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of Luxury Escapes, journalist and angel investor. And I'm joined by my great mate, Adir Schiffman, executive chairman of Catapult Sports and serial investor. In today's episode, we're talking about the ongoing dramas at Qantas, the not-so-sudden collapse of WeWork, and the wonder of Apple's AirTags. Now, let's get into it. Welcome, dear. Episode 12. Great yeah. to be here. Ratings keep going up, which is always nice, week on week. That's good. Well, we're the most popular podcast in this building pretty soon. Well, we've got another one that, that our producer Mike's producing, a Luxury Escapes podcast, which is exciting. They're going head-to-head with, with Lux. Oh, uh, there you go. So how was your week? You ever have lots on? I had a good week this week. The last, the end of my week was a lot of fun. I feel very relaxed. I'm back into it. I feel great. We did a, uh, a live event last night, which was good fun. It to was. Us, which it is was. a good double act. No one paid us, which they never do, but it was good fun. Um, <laughs> I, I've had a, a, a pretty good week. A small thing happened to me today. I, last week I lost my keys. Do you, do you use Apple AirTags? I have an AirTag in my suitcase. I used to use Tile once upon a yep. time. We can talk about that, but- you know, they come in packs of two, the AirTags. So yeah, four as well. Well, I don't know. One's in my suitcase and one's in the box that it came in. I haven't I'm, used the second one. I'm an absolute AirTag lover. Okay. I, I am upset. Like, I'm, I'm, Does it make it to the Adam Schwab, the greatest thing that's ever been invented is an AirTag? It's pretty close. But, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, Oprah did Oprah's favourite. I might do Adam's favourite things. I see yeah. every week. So this is Adam's favourite things from this week. Right. My Apple AirTag. I'm mm-hmm. sure Apple obviously don't need my support. They're doing it right. Yeah, you might, not be the f- you might not have been the first person to discover the AirTag. Just <laughs> or to put that Apple out as a brand. Or Apple, but, uh, that's right. Anyway, so I, I had my, my wife actually bought me a, for a present, bought me the AirTag with that little AirTag holder for a keys, which is really good. The AirTag holder actually costs like three times the AirTag. Yeah. So, is that made by Apple, the AirTag holder? or well, is it it's, th- brand, it's, it's made by someone and Apple sells it. Yeah, okay. Um, so they they basically, like the money goes to them. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. uh, that's why it's 100 bucks, not three bucks. Yeah. Probably what it cost. Yeah. So I, I'm regularly losing my keys. So yeah. AirTags have a little beep, 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 beep function. So if you lose yeah. it at home, you can find it by the beep, beep, yeah. beep. But they've also got it, you can jump on your phone and find yeah. it. So actually a couple, and a couple of weeks ago, I, I rode my bike back to the office and uh, it was only like a five minute ride. I get back to the office and I'm putting my, I'm about to, cause I use my mm. keys to unlock my, my, my lock and I'm putting my hand in my pocket and there's no, there's no keys there. I think, Oh God, I've lost my keys. Yeah. Quickly rode back to where I was. It was only five minutes away. They're not there either. I thought, Oh, I've lost these keys. What yeah. a disaster. Yeah. I thought, Oh, no, I've got, I've got the find my phone thing. My air tracker thing. So I jump on my phone and it put, it said the keys were like in the middle of a road, halfway between where I'd just come from. Oh, right. Quickly rode there. They were literally sitting on the road in the middle, exactly where, That's actually a fantastic exactly where they were. Yeah. Somehow no cars had run over yeah. them. I grabbed it, ran on the road, grabbed that, had the keys. A week later, lose my keys again. Yeah. And in that time, the AirTag battery had run flat. So Mike, our producer, uh, is asking how long does, does the battery last? It lasted about two, two and a half years. So it's good, pretty good. And in What this, better? Is it like a- It's a little lithium. Right. Whatever. Little, Replaceable. The ones that the kids can't eat. If you kid eat, it's yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, just by the way, I think the ones that the kid can't eat might cover every battery. <laughs> yeah, but that's a really, it's really serious. Like those the ones that the that that kids. kids sometimes yeah. ate yeah, yeah, and killed yeah, exactly. the kids. Yeah, it's really I mean, dangerous. It's pretty sad, so, sorry. But, um, um, but just as a general safety warning for this podcast, shouldn't we, we shouldn't eat batteries. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's a general rule. Like if you wanted to say, well, what are the general rules in life that you should follow? Don't eat batteries would it's be one of them. Up yeah, up yeah. Um, but yeah, so- <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Anyway, so I found the I found the keys in the middle of the road, ran and grabbed it. Yeah. Next week I lose my keys again, but in between that time, my, my battery had gone flat, so I had no air tag capability. Yeah. I looked everywhere, I looked in the car, I looked at my last my mum's looked for it at her yeah. house, I looked around that, I looked in every and of course I walked into work this morning, put my hand in my jacket pocket, 
Didn't well, that's a relief. So I was, Didn't need uh, the air tag for that. So I messaged my wife, said, I found my keys. She goes, I said, I found my keys in my jacket pocket. She goes, of course you did. So, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever looked for your phone whilst you were on your phone? I've done that before. No, I've, I've been talking on my phone while searching for my phone. <laughs> I've never done that. Yeah, I can see a, you doing that. No, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, do you know the Adam Sandler song, Phone Wallet Keys? No. Oh, that's a great song. You should go in uh, immediately after this uh, recording, go to YouTube and Google Adam Sandler's Phone Wallet Keys song. It's dated slightly because nobody has a wallet anymore. Yeah, true. But it really, uh, Mike is nodding. Like it is, it is one of the most am- amusing uh, bits of uh, Adam Sandler comedy that I've come across. But shout but, out to, to Air, to Air Tags is such a great well, Mike wants to say something. Don't I, cut I him off. I can put some of the audio okay. of it in here if you guys want. Just yeah, so check the, the audio. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Check the right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm heading out and all I'm taking with me is my phone wallet keys. Yeah, phone wallet keys. Just those three things. Another, another good news story. Wallet. So we had a, one of our great listeners. We have a lot of listeners at the show. Well, before you go into that, I just want to tell you something about your air tags. Yeah. So I used to use Tile, as I yep. said. And Tile, they went on a bit of a journey, that business. So they were like one of the hottest startups in the day when they first launched. They launched with a – I mean, effectively, it's – they had the idea of the AirTag, but the beauty of AirTag is, you know, these things are not really – they're not GPS. They use the network around them in order to locate them. And so, so many people use an iPhone that it's so easy That's to locate an so AirTag, good. right? Yeah, but exactly. Tile had the same idea, but they just did, couldn't quite get the network effect – their first device had no replaceable battery, so you had to replace the tile, yeah. which it was not good, right? Yeah. And then they moved to a replaceable battery, a lithium-ion battery, and that was better, but they could just never get the network. I, mm. I quite loved it, but they ended up getting bought by an Australian company. Well, I think Life360 bought them. Life360 is a great Australian success story. Well, I haven't been following them, but I remember when they bought Tile, I thought, it's a bit of a strange deal because they're buying this business at a time where a Titanic competitor has just come out and replicated their offering in a much more successful way, and then they sold to Life360. And I just assumed that was going to kill Life360, but obviously it hasn't. Well, I think Life360 obviously had the COVID boom, and then dropped the share price dropped to down to like three bucks a share. It's now back up to eight dollars a share. It's a one point five billion dollar business. Nobody talks global, about it. A global business that's competing against Apple, essentially. And what a great story! An Aussie business. Aussie business, like that, not just listed in Australia. Actually, no, an Australian business. Australian, but I think it sells globally. Yeah, uh, it's a. One of the great Australian unknown success stories. What's their main item that they sell? Well, do you know? Well, I think what people use it for is you can you put this Life 360 app on your phone yeah. and it tracks. Like I can track if I'm married to you, I can track you where you're going. So yeah. it's great for adults or a spouse if they're in all sorts of trouble. Well, is, that, is that the is that if you go to their website, is that the sales I'm pitch not, on their the website? Pitch. I think it's for kids. So right. you, got, you can tell where your kid is. Yeah. You can set, one of the one of our um, colleagues from from Hyatt showed me that she was using. She had kids who were 17, 18. Yeah, and she would just and she pulled out the app. So this is where my kids are. This is where my husband I is. It was see. great. It was um it's a stalking app. It's meant you got to allow it. I use the word stalking stalking in the broadest sense because now the world that we live in today, there's now acceptable stalking, (laughs) which is I want to know where my kids are at all times, and that's gone from being like a creepy thing, don't spy on your kids, to like yeah, that's the helicopter parenting of the age. It's not usually your own family; it's usually an external. Well, but you know this idea that you know where your kids are at all times, (laughs) which was we're accused of helicopter parenting, which I think is a reasonable accusation, frankly. Yeah. Like, my parents never knew where I was. I mean, they knew because I called them from time to time to tell them where I was. <laughs> and have, they, yeah, you didn't have the communication ability. It was a, a whole my different My parents world. always vaguely knew where I was. I no, I mean. I, I, but they didn't know exactly where you were at all times. Yeah. But this is when you were 15 or when you were 21? 
Yeah, not when I was 21. Yeah, but, so like, when you're, but when you're 15, my parents would know where I was. So I'm not gallivanting around Melbourne when I was 15. No, but what I more mean is that when my son is catching the bus home from school, I oh, can okay. see exactly where yep. the bus is up to, right? Yeah, it's true, like, true. It's true. It's just the the ability to keep tabs on people now is just completely different. I to think that's less helicopter ago. parenting, and uh, we probably are a helicopter parent. I don't, I don't know if knowing where your, pe- your kid is for safety reasons would fall under helicopter parenting, would it? Well, I think that um, when I was – this is the irony of um, – I think this gives my parents a lot of joy, especially my mum. It's the second week in a row we're talking about my mum on the well, podcast. There's some potential guests. I've had, I've had actually a number <laughs> of people. Healthy. I've had a number of people uh, message me. A couple of, a couple of people used to work for me. Uh, KT, who was a great, great salesperson, worked for me, and she said, "Oh, you got to get Mrs. Schiffman on the show." So I've had. You know, she was a ma- she's a she was an economic statistician who became a maths yeah. teacher when she had kids. Wow, she's pretty amazing. She's actually the first female in a non-clerical role at Kodak. Remember that business once yeah. upon a time. Incredible. So, And then she became a mass teacher and she was, she was at Mentone Girls Grammar and then she was at Mount Scopus for years. And so like 50% of my friends had her as their VCE maths teacher. <laughs> She's pretty funny. So she, I always complained to her when I was growing up that she was overprotective. Yeah. Because she was, like other kids' parents said, come home whenever, wherever you want. There was no curfews, whatever. And I just whined to my <laughs> pe- my mum that she was so overprotective. And now I look at her parenting compared to my parenting and I'm horrified. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell did you let me get away with all that stuff? I'm so, not sure her parents, like, like it would be much easier to parent back then. You used to, like, sort of, I used to, I used to play by myself. I'd get a, Cricket bat and hit against the Agreed, ball, ball against the yeah. wall for seven hours. And my, my son's last like three minutes by himself and he needs like someone to look after him or play I with agree. him. So my daughter's a lot better. There was um, no boredom. when Like 100%. when we were growing up. We had no divide. We, had, we didn't have the ability to jump on a device. No. You just – you found ways to – I agree with you. I bowled at stumps in the backyard for yeah. hours. You know yeah. when they this made-up idea of 10,000 hours of practice yeah, makes you Malcolm good. Gladwell. It's, I mean, you can't believe that. You, I, I, don't, I've got I this love thing. that book. Outliers is one of my favourite right, But what about my – the the Adir's rule of round numbers, which is if you ever see a round number, that number's not true. That's probably right. And so – but whatever it is, you need some number of hours of practice to be good at something. And uh, – and yeah, you would just play in the backyard, and that's why you got good at cricket. And I would bowl 100%. at stumps, and that's why I got good I at cricket. Hit a tennis ball again with the racket. Uh, yeah, exactly. And now, you know, like I hit a tennis ball with, uh, you know, like people for twenty minutes, and like, all right, I've, I've had enough. Oh, that's <laughs> enough. I'll go back to my devices now. You know. <laughs> so anyway, oh, you want to talk about something else? Someone yeah, gave you free stuff out. that you Someone want to talk about. Oh, so we have yeah. a lot of the contrarian army grows by the minute, uh, and one of the proud <laughs> contrarian army members. Owns a business called Booty, B-O-O-D-Y.com.au. So we talked about uh, step one and the bamboo mm. uh, underwear. So the Booty guy sent me a couple of T-shirts, a couple of uh, sort of bamboo underwear. They were really good. And I actually jumped on the site just before and just checked. Uh, uh, the T-shirt was it was one, it was a full sort of ethical T-shirt. And it was really breathable. What do you mean it was ethical? Like it's got nothing bad to say about you know, people? Like, no, you know, you know, like it's like uh, it doesn't – I don't know, ethical. It's like – I know, I'm just teasing you. But uh, It was grown in a happy environment and no bamboo felt sad or they didn't get their feelings hurt while growing. I think you'd be upset. You never got sent the booty. No, they should keep sending stuff to you 100%. This is the easiest cash for comment ever. (laughs) Two pairs of underwear and a T-shirt and there you go, you're done. Well, I wouldn't say it if I didn't actually like it. The T-shirt was actually one of the best T-shirts I've ever worn. I thought this has got to be like a 70 duck T-shirt. It was like 24 bucks. I think booty is actually underselling how much they should be charging more. Well, on that topic, let me make a comment on that topic since you've shouted them out. I've got no comment about them, but- I'll support you 100%. I'm a supportive guy. But let me say <laughs> let me say about Adam's favorite things. About using pricing as a market signal. So back in the we talked about Hitwise a little while ago and I remember a story that Tessa who ran marketing at Hitwise told me and she said when she got there very in the very early days they were selling it for like $100 a month to companies this like tracking of how your website was doing and nobody would buy it. 
And then she put the price up to like, I'm just going to say $1,000 a month. And all of a sudden the sales started yeah. coming because they sent this signal to the market that this is high value data and worth something. And there is no doubt that there is a relationship between the price of something and the perceived value on the, the customer. And so yeah. I agree with you. Like if this t-shirt really is that good, it shouldn't be $24. It yeah. should maybe be $45. It should be easily for Like it's yeah. to jump on now before he puts his price up. So yeah. it's uh, it, the product was unbelievable. So uh, I'm not just saying- By the way, I don't want to run any business- I don't want to run any direct-to-consumer business where my um, gross profit margin is not at least 70%. And I wonder if he can get to 70% on $24. Because $24 is not really $24, it's $22 yep. plus GST. Yep. And so is he going to get to like a $7 landed T-shirt in Australia? The Probably felt not. too good to be $7. Like yep. it felt like a really good cool $7 landed with duty and everything. Like Yeah. So that's not easy. Yeah. So yeah, good product and congratulations to an Australian business. I just want to quickly touch on, I actually wrote – I've written an article, it hasn't run yet, but as you know, I wrote, I've written for Crikey, which is owned by private media. Yeah. It's been, it started by Stephen Main, just a, almost the original, Stephen Main was a rear window. So Joe Aston, obviously is famously rear window columnist. Stephen Main wrote rear window. It was a rear window columnist in the late nineties. I did not know that. So Stephen Main's a, a, fr- a friend of mine, but a super interesting guy who was a columnist. He then worked for Jeff Kennett and then left Jeff Kennett and started this Crikey thing. And he, he was the is first- he right, Is he from the right? He, yeah, because Crikey really? was always sort of sli- used to be a just used to actually be contrarian. So whatever Stephen would just take the position that yeah. everybody else didn't hold, and that yeah. was what was so good about it. it was a, that original shit sheet? It would print stuff that would get him sued. He got sued by Steve Price, who's actually made him on as well. <laughs> funnily enough, so uh, so they Steve went. Steve Price, the radio guy. Steve Price is a mate of yours. Guy. He was a friend of Lux and, and is a really lovely really? guy. Yeah. So there you go. I, I mean, mean, I'm not saying really because I don't think he's a lovely guy. I don't know him. But like you've got the most eclectic group of I say friend. I contacts and people. Every week. But when I see him, we, we get on really well. But Did you, are you, are you, you? And you were like, you know, I said to you last week, I went to your DigiSit event and uh, Craig Hutchison was talking at, at that event. Hutchie, that's your mate as well? I'm not sure Hutchie would consider me mate. But, um, but you knew him before that. You, oh, you, you yeah. knew him before that we night. Did, we worked together. Yeah. So okay. um, you've got to wouldn't call ourselves. I'm sure Hutchie wouldn't call me mate, but uh, but Pricey up, I think we're probably yeah. a bit closer to. But um, the interesting thing about people who have this public persona, so Pricey and both Stephen Main and Pricey have this yeah. part of a kind of call it aggressive public persona. Well, Stephen Main's public persona is predominantly around agitating at AGMs exactly. now. But he's also like, and Stephen Main actually was on seven seven four ABC radio network for a while as right. well. But they had this persona of being dislikable, but in real life they're so likable. Right. It's such a contrast. I'm sure you see a lot of people like this who maybe disliked publicly, but are super nice privately. Yeah, so I'm going to say something. I don't often talk about myself, but I'm going to say this one line, which is the most common remark I get when I meet people for the first time is people say, oh, you're nothing like I expected you to be when I – and like, I'm, why is that? Oh, because, you know, like they just make these assumptions about people. Yeah. You know me, like I don't I don't like arguing with people or fighting with people. You are very nice. Might be. Oh, well, that's a nice thing to say. I would yeah. say, well – I don't know how to respond to that. That's very nice. But what I think is people make this assumption that I must be um, very confrontational and think that um, it's my way or the highway. Probably a bit of the LinkedIn stuff maybe. Probably. probably. And just generally I think people form views about about individuals that maybe are written about in in, uh, media sometimes. And really my view, as you know, which is your view, is when you go into an environment and it's an exchange of ideas, the happiest thing for me is when somebody else's idea is a much smarter idea than my idea and I leave there saying, well, that was a good experience because what we're leaving with is much better than what I walked in with in my own mind. So anyway, I, like I am, I'm very sympathetic for, for people who are um, misunderstood based on the public perception of them, absolutely. 
So back to Crikey. So Crikey was this, it's been going for about 20 years. It was the original kind of blog that charged. Before the days of Medium and blog, Crikey was it. And Stephen had this incredible idea to come up with this. With, and it was in the early days, the 04, 05, 06, it was, I used to like, like you know how when Joe is tragically uh, re- retired. Tragically. Team, but before Joe resigned. He's just, ago, we're just waiting to see where he goes. Yeah, right? so before yeah. Joe stopped writing with Window a month ago, you just, you couldn't wait to re- yeah. read Joe's. It was just the yeah. best moment of your day, one of the best moments. And I found Crikey for me in the early days was that. It was yeah. like a 20 article. It was, it's, they had stuff, they broke incredible. Remember the Mark Llewellyn Channel 9 yeah. stuff, the Eddie Maguire boning? Yeah, yeah. Oh, was that from Crikey? That was Crikey. There you go. Um, Jess Rowan. So Jess Rowe is married to Peter Overton, uh, two of the genuinely nicest people. Yeah. Peter Overton, literally the nicest guy I've ever met. And really? Like the mo- one of the most well-known guys yeah. in Sydney. He is, he, he'll go on a, uh, help me out with luxury escape sometime, and he'll call me to thank, he's genuinely, I've never met a nicer guy than Peter yeah. Overton. He's yeah. like off the charts nice. That's interesting. Uh, so Crikey was this great, irreverent, contrarian, yeah. uh, wouldn't be left-wing, wouldn't be right-wing, a bit of everything. So yeah. it, it took down, remember- um, Definitely it had a place in the what's called the zeitgeist. Yeah, and it like was Like it was shaping, shaping opinions def- in back in its early days for sure. Yeah, and famously yeah. Eric Beecher, who was very successful. Yeah. Eric Beecher was, I think, he was the editor of Sydney Morning Herald at 29, I think. So right. he was an absolute wunderkind. He also then started the Melbourne Weekly. But that that's club, right, that's right. He, I think he sold it for 50 or $60 million, right. uh, maybe more, to, to Fairfax. So a very successful guy. Yeah. He bought it for a million dollars from Stephen Mayne in 2005. It was basically broke, right? He'd been – I thought St- – my recollection – I might be completely wrong about this, but my recollection is Stephen Mayne basically got sued into bankruptcy by someone. Is that Steve right? Steve Price sued him. Steve Price sued him. He never went bankrupt. Right. Uh, and they said – and Stephen Mayne said that was the best thing that ever happened to Crikey, the free publicity got yeah. launched. Couldn't Crikey. you have mediated a settlement between Steve Price and I didn't Stephen Mayne? I them at the time. Right. Okay. Um, Pricey probably shouldn't have sued there, but I think Mayne benefited. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, it was like Stephen didn't write it. Some random guy wrote it. Steve didn't check it. Stephen Mayne didn't check it. Yeah. Pulled it down straight away, but it was too late. Yeah. Uh, but it helped Crikey yeah. get get well known. And Stephen, it was just this – Probably till 2016, 17, it was still really good. It dropped off a bit, but yeah. we got a, lost a bit of its edge, but it was still really good. I wrote probably a thousand plus articles for really? Crikey. Um, not more. Most of them I didn't charge for. Yeah. I was then on the board of the holding company yeah. uh, to help out Eric and they hired a guy called Will Hayward, who's a lovely guy, uh, really, really good guy, a CEO, very talented guy as well, but not from an editorial background, from a, mm. from a sales mm-hmm. background. And then they hired a guy called Peter Frey, ex Sydney Morning Herald editor. And Peter probably lost his way a bit mm-hmm. uh, during COVID and he, from the, in terms of editing. Yeah. Uh, he then left. There was a controversial incident. He left. And Sophie Black, who used to be an editor, came back. And unfortunately, in the last, certainly the last two or three years, Crikey has gone from being that sort of contrarian, irreverent, to being mm. just ultra far left. Like I agree. Off the charts yeah. left. It's gotten – and it's really sad what, what's happened to Crikey. It was, I used Impl- to, the articles are implausibly left. And, bad, like, not, and not just left, also badly written, boring yeah, – yeah. um, facile. It's like reading a, a bad university rag now, yeah. which is such a tragedy. So I was reading it. They ran an article. They, and understanding they're, far, they're ultra left now. They're off the charts, falling yeah. off the page left. And unfortunately in the Israel Hamas issue, the far right and the far left have basically merged into one. So well, you know what I say about the far right and the far left? They meet around the back. Like opinions are basically a, a sphere. Yeah. And in the part where you can't see, you know, like in maths, if you, I don't know if you know about this, but it, you probably do. <laughs> like if you draw um, asymptotes, as something asymptotes to positive infinity, 
yeah. touches negative infinity. Yeah. You just can't see where they touch. Yeah. That's my view about 100%. the far left and the far right. They touch around the back where you can't see them. My mum actually said that to me when I was like six years old, I reckon. It's always stuck with me. The far left, far right basically becomes one. And yeah. it's even, this is the issue. Like, so you've got the neo-Nazis on the far right. Yeah. And you've got the absolute far left. And they basically all want Israel wiped off the map, yeah. essentially. Uh, and Crikey, obviously, and sadly, has, I think has run like 23 articles, all none criticised, none, none critical of Hamas, all that kind of stuff, all yeah. critical. But that, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, people have their views and, and their views. But they actually ran an article from a Palestinian- Well, you say people have their views, but like supporting terror is not a legitimate view in a Western liberal democracy. Well, that is an that's, illegitimate that's view. supporting Palestine. Yeah, well, supporting Palestine is yeah. a different story, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. But supporting the Hamas, oh, there's no space I'm for that in- I'm not saying they're supporting Hamas. I'm saying they're certainly not criticising Hamas while yeah. criticising Israel. But right. they, they ran an article, I think it was on Wednesday, from a, a Palestinian activist who lives in Australia, a Palestinian guy, obviously has his views, which is completely fine. And it was a really tragic story, well, it appeared to be, and basically saying how his sister and three beautiful young children had died mm. uh, as part of the Israeli bombing. Mm. And I read it, and just the scale of the tragedy kind of didn't sit right, and that as tragic as it was, seemed too convenient. Yeah. Uh, and as in, you mean the story seemed implausible? It seemed implausible. Yeah. The fact that this guy was an activist in the first yeah. place, and yeah, yeah, it could have been true, but. It kind of suited the narrative. I mean, it's true for so, – it's like we should say, it's true for someone's family. Like uh, these things are definitely Absolutely. happening. Right? I'm not denying that. And clearly yeah. people – children dying on both sides are equally tragic. The death of a one-year-old, whether of Israeli background or Palestinian background, is equally tragic. Yeah. Well, uh, no, we should say it's happening because Hamas is putting its tunnels 100%. underneath refugee camps, I'm not right? saying who's default. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah. default. I'm saying yeah. the, the tragedy is equal. Yeah. Uh, so – no one's no one's making light of that, but yep. anyway, this, so this guy it just didn't seem plausible to you. Didn't seem just didn't. It seemed too convenient that yep. an activist happened to have suffered this loss. Yeah, and I, I wrote to the crikey guys and said, "Has this been fact checked?" Because Hamas released yeah. the list. The, yeah. the health ministry released the list. Has it been fact checked? Well, Hamas is the source of all of the numbers of wounded and dead coming out of the Gaza. Eight, allegedly, eight thousand. I, mean, I don't know why people, including like two thousand of the terrorists that went into Israel to begin with, and yeah. plus a few thousand more. Yeah. Anyway, that's. I find the whole thing bizarre that people rely on a terror organization most, for, for numbers. Most news agencies. Most like the New York Times generally say yeah. this is Hamas's numbers, so be careful about it. Although it's starting, it's less and less now. Crikey, but have not said that. So I don't Crikey. want to interrupt this story, but I just want to say it's one other thing, which is if you're a journalist in Gaza, you're chaperoned by Hamas, yeah, and you cannot report anything that Hamas does not want you to report. So there is no independent journalism or verification that comes out of Gaza. And if you, and also if you're a journalist, journalist in Gaza, you're more likely to hold that viewpoint anyway. I Possibly, presume. but also you, there's no independent journalism. No, like, right. Anyway, finish your crikey story. So go on. So, so I've written to crikey and said it's been fact checked, and that I, I didn't get a reply. Assuming yeah uh, has not been because if yeah. it had been, they would have told me. Uh, want, whenever you like, this is what I say. If you ask a question, like any answer that is longer than one word. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that's how it goes, right? <laughs> exactly. like, and so this is actually less than one word, which is right. turns out it's also no. Yeah, uh, and I sent to the editor. So I then, oh, sorry, I then I just did a Google search after this guy. Yeah, yeah. First thing that pops up is a tweet that he wrote. Yeah. from two days earlier, saying my sister and her kids are alive. I thought, oh, it's a miracle. But if you go back, so you go back a week. So then I just did a timeline. So if you go back, because the then you thought maybe he thought they were dead, but they weren't. So you were checking, right? Well, there's a timeline. So yeah. if you go back on the on the eighth or ninth, or just yeah. after the tragedy of seventh yeah. of October, he posted. He started posting how bad things were. Yeah. Uh, and so he's clearly has a point of view, which is his right to have. But he was posting a very pal- pro called Palestinian point of view, which is fine. He's Palestinian. Uh, and then on the twenty second, he, he attended a rally. Obviously, yeah. emotions are high. And yeah. then a few hours later, he posted a beautiful picture of his three nieces and yeah. nieces, I think three nieces, and his yeah. sister who had died. Very tragic. Uh, he then did an ABC interview yeah. um, about it. So did ABC, maybe, maybe the ABC interview was earlier. 
Anyway, he then on the 31st, Crikey runs the, story. the article. Yeah. On the 29th, he confirmed they hadn't died. And he confirmed it in two separate tweets. Right. So it wasn't if it was one tweet. It was two separate tweets. So by the time the article was run, it was clear that it was not factually correct. 100%. And he also did an ABC interview. And if you look at the interview, same day, yeah. he just looked – it didn't look like the guy, a guy who had suffered the loss yeah. of family. Like, yes, people react to tragedy in different ways, but – and I, I linked to the to the video, and you can actually link it. Um, it's very you can see it's very easy to see that it doesn't seem right. Yes. But the tweets were the absolute smoking gun. I sent it to Crikey, thinking a they might run my article, and yeah. b um, that immediately remove yeah. the fraudulent article and correct and might write a run a correction and correction, and they're refusing. Yeah. And they have not. So this is so Crikey has gone from this fantastic irreverent uh, publication yeah. to a publication that. Run, doesn't fact check, runs a fraudulent article, and then refuses to take the fraudulent article yeah, down. Yeah. So in, in my view, I think I actually think Crocker should be shut down. I don't think it serves any journalistic purpose. It, it now it runs red meat to its ultra – it's basically a left-wing – ultra left-wing Fox News or an yeah. ultra left-wing Breitbart. Yeah. Uh, it's a tragedy if it's what is an organisation very close to my heart that I've spent sort of thousands and thousands of hours of unpaid work on has yeah. now degraded to this monstrosity of fraud. Uh, what a terrible result. I've got two comments to make about that. One is flippant and short, and one is you'll find more interesting. But this is my flippant and short <laughs> comment. You call them tweets. Is that what, still what they're called? I still call them tweets. No one knows what to call them, right? Yeah, I still call them Do tweets. Do you call them Xs? You can't call them Xs. Xs to sound. This, uh, this Elon Musk fixation with the letter X for oh, his whole life. Horrific. God, it makes life hard. Yeah. So that's that. Um, <laughs> this is a more serious comment. Yeah. I can't tell you the source of this comment on air, I'm going to call it, but it's true. So- there are some high-profile so – let's call it – there are some very um, senior, well-established people in society that come from a Muslim background. And um, what I understand about some of them is that they're, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment where they want to come out and condemn these terror attacks. But on the flip side, they feel like if they do that, they're kind of giving support to Israel and a green light yep. for bombing Palestinians. 100%. And so – they're really the community at the moment is really wedged between that, and um, and I find that that's a very interesting thing that's going on inside that community at the moment. Yep. It's a tr- it's like you know very difficult for them to know exactly how to respond to the. I mean, there are just some people that you know hate Jews or whatever, but putting yep. all of that aside, there are some people in there that you know are decent and caring people, and they are pretty wedged in their community, knowing how to respond at the moment. Personally, I think they should come out and condemn. Terror, as I yeah. said, like when it was Jewish terror, it's I condemned hard. it. Yeah, but, it's but in their community, it's difficult at the moment. I feel, and maybe this is me, my optimism. Obviously, the Abraham Accords and the Saudi mm. Israel is heading to peace with Saudi Arabia, mm. or, or, or certainly commercialization of, of, yeah. of interest. It feels like the Arab Street, and yes, we hear there's bits of it, but yeah. the, it feels like the Western Street, the far left of the West, has been far more supportive of Hamas than the Arab Street. Yeah, is what it feels that. like. I, I don't know if that's true or not. That's, well, that's I totally agree. Well, Yemen just asked Saudi if they could, f- if the if the Houthi rebels in Yemen, Iranian proxies yeah. as well, if they could fire their cruise missiles over the top of Saudi Arabia because it's a shorter journey to yeah. Israel. And Saudi Arabia said, "No, we're going to shoot them down if they fly over Saudi Arabia." So there definitely has been a change for the better, peace-wise, in in the Middle East. I mean, where where it goes, it's hard to know. I also think this is the last thing I'll say on this whole topic. One of the things that feels like for me is that there's all of these protesters out in the streets protesting at the worst gas the Jews and those types yep. of things. But it feels like the only people that are protesting, like, yeah, don't, like. don't gas the Jews, yeah. um, are Jews. Yeah. And so what I've said to 
my friends who – like a huge – maybe most of my friends are not Jewish, but yep. like a huge percentage are. I've said, you know, I know why you're not saying anything because you don't feel like you, you necessarily know what you should be saying. Yeah. But I think it's very important in a democracy. I think in a democracy citizens have an obligation to stand up for the values of that democracy because it's very fragile. As I always say, it's, it's not a natural state of life to have a democracy yep. and, and to have rule of law. And I do think that there is an obligation that regular people in a democracy should feel to say, we're going to say something or else it's going to feel like the majority view is just this radical vocal minority. And that to me feels Mm -hmm. like what's happening at the moment because I don't know anyone personally thinks that anything other than there's this horrible terror and it needs to be stopped. But that is not the sentiment you get in the general population. The loudest voice is the far left. Yeah, and so I think it is important. people who... who, um just quickly, you talked about Saudi. Uh, I didn't know about the Yemen missile thing. Yeah. But, um, Jordan also said stop firing missiles at Eilat, which is in like the southeast corner of Israel, because yeah. they keep missing and landing in yeah, Jordan. Exactly. Uh, it's near, what's it, Aqaba? Aqaba, yeah. yeah. Uh, but MBS, so Mohammed bin Salman, who, who's the leader of Saudi Arabia, yeah. he got, obviously got a lot of criticism after the Jamal Khashoggi murder. Yeah. But he has been an incredible leader. He's, he's dem- democratising. He's given women more rights than anywhere in, in the Middle East or in, in that region. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously more, moving to normalise with Israel. He's become very commercially friendly. He has been a, a, a revelation and obviously cops a huge amount of Brad Press for one person. Yeah. Of course, every country kills their enemies. I mean, we don't talk about it. Australia, US, all of us do. Uh, he copped a bad rap, but he has been a, a great progressive force in what was – uh, a non-progressive country, allowing women to drive, allowing women to, to sort of go out in public without having yes. to necessarily cover their head as much. So that, that's been – it gets a lot of unfair criticism, I think. I would say it's heading in the right direction with Saudi. Still a long way to go, but a lot better than Iran, Iran yeah. or what's going on in Gaza where there's there's no progress whatsoever. I sort of – I keep saying this is the last thing, but I saw, <laughs> I saw this video where – this guy was going around to universities and saying, well, you sign this um, petition in favour of Hamas. And people are like, yep, yep, yep. And then he says, okay, I'm just going to have to read you the terms and conditions as part of you signing. And it's like, by signing this, you support like women not being allowed out in public and being like treated like property. Oh, I don't agree with that. You support uh, the murder of homosexuals. And, I don't agree. and so he was kind of just yeah. exposing what, yeah. what, what the ideology really is behind all of this. So I, I would just say to people, whatever side – or whatever views people have, which hopefully is not the support of terror, people should feel more of an obligation, educate themselves before making public comments about things. And as to finish off with your crikey story, I think one of the big problems that has happened with media in the last decade is the necessity for the constant generation of content in near real time. And that has made it much harder to check stories. Yeah. And it has made and and there's lots of clickbaiting. People are under pressure for clickbaiting and yeah. that's how they get to be journalists and move up the ranks. And so the importance of high quality, serious media, I think is just fundamentally important more than ever before in yeah. society today. I think the final thing on Crikey, the, the tragedy of Crikey is it considers itself a serious media organisation. Yeah. It criticises others and has probably become the worst of the worst. So RIP Crikey, it was great for 18 years, but I think it's um, certainly no longer. And what I love is that you ended that story where something was the worst of the worst. So of we've kept, you know, the, like we've kept it, momentum in the, uh, in the extremes. That's and good. We'll, we'll jump to a break and come back with our first big story on Qantas. Adir, what's your experience been with SEO across all the businesses you've worked with? 
Well, I actually had an agency that did SEO at one point in time. And so through that, I, I was not the SEO guy. And through that, I got some insight into just how um, complicated and sophisticated SEO is. And since then, I've tried a variety of different people and solutions, and it's a bit of a mix and match for me. I don't have a very sharp answer for you on that. We're the same. We're, I reckon we've cycled through a dozen agencies before we discovered Portal Ventures. And these guys are the real deal. We've actually used them at Luxury Escapes, and our SEO traffic has jumped dramatically. We also use them in a business called Bookwell, which I used to chair. And the SEO there was so good, we actually were able to sell the business to the global leader, almost purely based on how much organic traffic we had from SEO. The guys at Portal Ventures work with some of the best Australian marketplaces and e-commerce businesses, including Flipper, Programmer, Mad Paws, Camplify, and AutoGuru. These guys are literally the best of the best. Exclusive to Contrarians listeners, the team at Portal will give you a free one-hour consultation if you mention Contrarians. To get in touch with Mike and the team, call them on 1300 121 261 or go to www.portal.ventures. Uh, For our first big story, we've got the ongoing drama at Qantas, which as we record this is holding its long-awaited AGM. And this week, Qantas issued its defence to an ACCC action that it misled customers when it continued to sell tickets to flights that had been cancelled and didn't tell anyone for 18 days on average and up to 47 days in some cases. Qantas alleged that it didn't actually mislead customers because it was simply selling a bundle of rights rather than the right to any particular flight. Corporate law experts and the ACCC quickly dismissed Qantas's claims, noting the issue wasn't a contractual issue, but rather that the customer was being misled as to what they were buying. Meanwhile, Qantas also announced last week it was planning to increase ticket prices on the back of rising fuel costs, and prices may also need to be increased if wages rose. Adir, when Vanessa Hudson was appointed CEO of Qantas, she promised a newer, nicer Qantas. How do you think she's going? Sometimes there are these moments in business and maybe... It's true also for life more generally where there's an important strategic decision that has to be made and the consequences of that decision are going to reverberate and maybe they'll actually change the direction of life or the direction of a company. And I think that this decision is one of those decisions. So if I was in Vanessa Hudson's shoes right now, I wouldn't have filed a defence at all personally. By the way, this defence, this is junk. This is total. I mean, I sound like you in saying that, but um, worst defense you've ever seen. I, I mean, it's not the worst you're defense I've ever seen. But it, but it is junk because this idea. Well, you think you're buying a ticket. You're not buying a ticket to a flight. You're buying a basket of services. What's well, in the basket? Well, maybe we'll give you a flight on some flight around <laughs> the time that you want to book a ticket. But the question was like, why are they selling tickets for flights that were already cancelled? Yeah, That's the, the fundamental the question. Is ridiculous. But right. I think that. So the defence itself is a very bad defence in my opinion, but the idea of filing a defence I think was a dumb decision because the answer should have been, so new CEO, we are going to plead guilty. And yep. once you plead guilty, there's no trial. Yep. That's the end of it. The court case is over. You and then the ACCC will say, this is your fine. Yep. Well, the Qantas doesn't care how big the fine is. Well, they've got lots of money. And so that would have been over. And she would yep. have said, I'm a different kind of CEO. We take responsibility for our bad decisions. And even though, you know, their argument m- mostly is we didn't profit off the consequences of doing all of this stuff. Unlike fee for no service. What they're trying to do is draw a distinction with the Royal Commission for of the Banking Royal Commission. I think fee for no did, service. I actually reckon what Qantas did was worse than fee for no service. Oh, I'm, shocked, I'm, shocked to, I'm shocked to hear that. But go on. <laughs> well, my reasoning is, so Qantas cancelled a flight 
didn't tell the customer for f- up to 47 days. In yeah. that time, fr- flight costs has doubled or tripled. And they yeah. said, we gave, we gave customers a refund or another flight. What they often would say is, sorry, there's no other flights. You're going to have to get a refund. But refund only covers like 20% of the cost. Yeah, of the flight. rebooking so, cost is much higher. And Qantas then profits from the rebooking cost being so high. So the notion they didn't profit is an out- outright lie. I think my suspicion is this has been done by – you see Joe Asson went nuts. At, uh, so you, see what, you see when Joe went – did a beautiful take Joe on Aston, you mean. that Joe yeah. Aston went did a beautiful take on and I think Andrew Finch the Qantas general counsel he was yeah. belligerent he was he, he was having a go at the parliamentary committee for asking too many questions yeah he got a verbal flogging from one of the senators he looked like from uh from Bridget McKenzie uh who did That's a right. magnificent job That's and right. he looked like just a despicable guy and this has his fingerprints all over it so it's uh, how this guy still has a job he needs to be cleaned out with Joyce is gone. Your mate Richard Gordon is gone. It all, this all starts off so gentle. It's a bad decision. And very quickly, well, we're trying to clean out the cupboards again. Well, but this is part, this is fundamental. Like, this guy's position is untenable. I, I agree. That was a very bad – if this was based on his advice, that was bad. But ultimately – the general well, counsel. Well, the, the CEO is responsible for ultimately but how they respond. advice from the lawyer. All right. But this, this is what I'm saying to you. Like, So I think – their, their argument about, about not profiting was to try and draw a distinction between their conduct yep. and the conduct of fee for no service at the Banking Royal Commission. And so I understand why they did that. But I don't think this should have been a legal response. Fundamentally, it should have been a strategic response that said the only way that we are going to move forward as a brand is we need to stop daily media coverage mm. of the ACCC, which generally, like the average punter looks at the ACCC and thinks, yeah, they've got my interests at heart. They're protecting yep. me. And so they need to stop that fight because that's never going to look good for them. Yeah. And just plead guilty. Even if you think you're not guilty, even, you know what, nobody, this is my experience in life, nobody looks in the mirror and says, that's the bad guy. That's my experience. <laughs> no matter how bad what they've done is, that yeah. is not how people feel. So let's say Qantas feels like they're hard done by. You know, they got this negative choice award during the week. Did you see that? Well, you see that. They, had- they cried about it. They should have just said, yeah. oh, ha ha, yes, yeah. we're going to fix. They cried about it and whined about it. It's dumb. Like, just accept that what you did was wrong and move forward as a brand. I couldn't agree more. Aisha Cresta. I had a great – she's been fantastic from the Finn on Qantas. Yes. She had this great – She is fantastic as a Yeah, journalist. she is. And they had – I think there was some internal brand measure and Qantas is well below Virgin now. Qantas is almost at Jetstar levels. And think right. how bad that – Jetstar actually goes out of its way to – Well, I won't fly Jetstar and I will happily fly Qantas just to but Jetstar, well, Jetstar is a cheap airline. It is what it is. Yeah. It doesn't pretend to be a full-service airline yeah. anyway. But it, people definitely don't like Jetstar for that reason because it – you get a terrible service, but I Qantas feel actually more, I claims feel more strongly, full service. I feel more strongly about Jetstar than not liking them. What? If, what if, what's the point? The point is, yeah. you people think Qantas is as bad as Jetstar. Now, right. this is just one of the great. They think they're treated generations. Well, they think they're treated as badly by Qantas as they are by Jetstar. They don't think the experience of a Qantas of Qantas metal is as bad as well, Jetstar. Yeah, well, the, the question was on brand trust. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Look, I'm not trying to actually contradict you on this. I agree with you. The the brand of Qantas has got major problems at the moment. And the first step to turning it around probably was a mea culpa and saying, yep, we did these things wrong. Sorry, we'll pay money and we'll do better. That's a much better narrative, taking responsibility. I I totally agree. I think the one thing I disagree with you on, and you've talked about it last week, and you're confident that in six months Qantas is back to normal. Well, maybe not if they keep doing this stuff. My, I'm not sure that there's some irrevocable brand damage happening here that may – like I know in 2012, Joyce grounded the airline. It was a, that was a three-day grounding. It was be- better than ever six years later. And people were largely – I think the public was largely supportive of well, that decision. there was an understanding of there yeah. was a reason for it. And as we said, on, I think the second week of the show, the, 
the public was purportedly benefiting through cheap affairs because Qantas are paying the staff less. Like yeah. you can argue whether that's right or wrong, but that was the, yeah. what Qantas was trying to say. In this case, all everything Qantas has done to damage the and has damaged the brand really went to paying executives more. And Alan Joyce selling twenty million dollars of shares before all this stuff happened, while knowing Adriel Pussy. Hence why I don't think – and I don't think Vanessa Hudson's position is tenable. I think this Andrew Finch guy has to go today. Goiter's going. Todd Sampson may be gone by the time you hear this podcast. They need a completely – a complete – everyone needs to go. I don't if know. Todd Sampson is standing for re-election, it means he's going to be successfully re-elected. With a 40% potential no vote. vote. Which is – I don't know how you rock up to work with, you know, almost the, almost – half the people don't want you there. Well, how you rock up is probably via the chairman's lounge with a check yep. that comes to you every month. That's how you rock up. Yep. And the free flights to Canada for 200 grand a uh, year, which he's yes. obviously getting as well. Uh, but this is, I know we talk about Qantas a lot. Funny, I, I speak to the guy, the journos you speak to in like at, at News and, and Fairfax or Nine, say when they run a Qantas piece, mm. they get double the readers of any other piece. Yeah. So people are obsessed with Qantas. Uh, that's true. Virgin. Uh, There's one person in this room that's obsessed with Qantas. I think everybody said, are you talking about Mike or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's right. No. <laughs> I know he loves a Qantas story, but it's the Qantas people who work in Qantas are the, are the victims as much as Qantas customers, Qantas employees are the victims of the disaster of Alan Joyce and Richard Goiter. And Andrew I feel Fitch. sorrier for the Qantas staff. When Absolutely. I was flying Qantas, I think I told you this, I had, to, I had to fly through Sydney and I was transitioning from the domestic terminal to the international terminal. And Qantas does not provide a fantastic service yeah, there. Yeah, it's a bus. Yeah, but also even just the ch- – anyway, it's not a great service. Yeah. And when I got there, I discovered that my flight – I think I was coming back from overseas and my flight to Melbourne had been cancelled unsurprisingly. And there was some issue with putting me on another flight and I had this long conversation with the woman that was working there. And basically her sentiment was that she is constantly on the receiving end of criticism yeah. from customers – she has no control over yeah. the outcomes. Actually, interestingly and somewhat ironically, she was saying, I can't wait till Vanessa Hudson takes over as CEO. Yeah. That was her big hope. But definitely the morale inside be, the – She'd be left wanting there, but uh. – Yeah, the morale inside the Qantas staff definitely has dipped. And, you know, when I flew on that Qantas flight, I have to say this in-flight service was fantastic. The quality of staff on the planes I've yep. always found outstanding. But they know what's happening to their brand Absolutely. and their company. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, I think this was a terrible miscalculation. Hopefully it's reversed. I still think that the brand can recover in six months, but not if they make decisions like this. One thing you mentioned I was quickly pick you up on, and you said you, no one looks in the mirror and says I'm a bad person. Yeah. One thing that we tell our customer service team to really think about when they're responding to a customer is who's at fault? Because there's there's mm. times where the hotel could be at fault, the customer could be at fault, or, or luxury escapes is at fault. Uh, and if the hotel's at fault, it's kind of our fault as well. But there's absolutely times where we just stuff it up. And if, if the fault is our fault, we need to go the extra mile to fix it up. Mm. Sometimes if the customer's at fault, you still want to try and help them as much as you can and give them a good experience. But if the customer just doesn't read something or does something wrong, it's hard because you can't cop, you can't insure a customer against their own mistake. But if we make a mistake, and we, we do from time to time, if we make a mistake, which which happens, we need to be doubly concerned about the customer experience because it is our fault. It means if we, if customers get held on, the, on hold for two hours because there's a phone system error or we don't reply to that email because it gets lost or whatever happens, some things happen when you get tens of thousands of correspondents a day and one or 2% things go wrong. If it, in the time that things go wrong, we need to do the extra mile and knowledge we did the wrong thing mm. and fix it. And Qantas seemed just completely incapable of that. And this is a great example. They, they didn't tell people their flight was cancelled for six weeks and they're still trying to claim they're right. Oh, I just think, can you believe the idea? Like, imagine the conversation that took place where this decision was made. We're going to tell people, the whole of Australia, 
We know you think when you go to the website and buy something that says it's a ticket. We know you think you're buying a ticket because we tell you you're buying a ticket. But our defense is you're not really buying a ticket. You're buying this other amorphous thing that is a legal concept and nobody – I mean – how somebody should have walked into that room and just said, what is the average human being going to think when they read this article? And so, yeah, I think it was a terrible miscalculation. And it's also wrong. Like even if what they're saying is legally wrong. Well, it's legally right, wrong, it's wrong, but anyway, it's, but it's anyway. legally wrong and commercially stupid. Strategically a bad decision. Yeah. And we'll go to a quick break and be back with our next story on WeWork. Artie, I imagine you're a big-time property investor. I'm the opposite to a big-time property investor. I know how to grow businesses. I'm, I'm good with startups. I'm good with growth businesses. I can buy listed equities. I can invest in funds. But um, I'm definitely not very sophisticated when it comes to property investment, I regret to inform you. I hear you. There's only so many things you can be expert in, and most people who invest in property are really flying blind. That's where Performance Property comes into it. They're a high-end property advisory firm who work with some of Australia's smartest investors. Performance Property will help you strategically grow your portfolio, utilize data sets, and make sure you're not overpaying. They even conduct detailed due diligence and even help with existing assets. They essentially make buying property as easy as buying a BHP share. If you've got more than $500,000 in equity to invest and are looking to build a multi-million dollar portfolio, give Performance Property a call on 03-8539-0300 or visit their website at performanceproperty.com.au. For our next story, we have the not-so-sudden collapse of the once-super-hot shared workspace business WeWork. WeWork is expected to file for bankruptcy any day under Chapter 11, which allows it to continue trading until it works out a plan to pay off its debts. WeWork share prices plunged from $520 a share to only $1 per share, and the company is now worth about $50 million, down from a peak of allegedly $47 billion at the height of the insane Adam Newman era. WeWork was somehow able to go public in 2021 at a valuation of US $9 billion, but the company has never been profitable, and as of 30 June this year, had $2.9 million US in long-term borrowings and more than $13 billion of lease obligations. So, idea, what do you make of the horrid tale of WeWork? Uh, my maths is that it's fallen 99.9%. Is that <laughs> right? It's down right. to one one thousandth yeah. of its value. Yeah. I mean, that's not surprising, is it? I mean, this was a boom business. The economics never worked for the business. It worked for as long as uh, of the Vision Fund poured money into them and kept them alive. And... I mean, it's a sad story. I know, I know a number of um, businesses that I've spoken to in the last week that are literally scrambling to try to figure out where they're going to move their businesses over the course of the next month because they're expecting that WeWork is going to go out of business. I think the question there is: WeWork clearly WeWork was a monstrosity. Adam Newman was a lunatic. Um, but if you, I don't know if you've watched that show on that Apple show. Was I incredible. have watched it. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd call him a lunatic, but I accept that many people would call him a lunatic after watching that show. I think he is. I think we've, and we've talked about this before, but I think it's, there were a lot of profitable shared workspace businesses. Our friend Toby runs a really great business. Well, I just want to argue uh, with you about this lunatic thing for a second. So, <laughs> you know, when you are nothing 
um, nobody is telling you how great you are. Maybe your mum. My mum always told me. How great <laughs> it was. My dad as well. And so, um, did you guess on the show? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but you know, you're down to earth, right? Most people are. There are some. That's the time when people that are not down to earth, when they've got nothing, they're the real, they're <laughs> real, real lunatics, problems. right? Real but but then as you become more and more successful. And like neither one of us has experienced what Adam Newman experienced yeah, through that. Clearly. There are so many people surrounding you that are sycophants the that I, want a the, piece of what you've got. Scott Galloway calls it the idol, idolatry of innovators. Exactly. That's a great, great phrase. And, um, and so all these people are telling you how fantastic you are and that you can do no wrong and that you, whatever you do, people say is amazing. And so if you go in, you know, in that, in that documentary, there was he was like there was a lot of drugs involved on private jets, right? And nobody was saying that is a terrible idea. People are saying that's amazing. I, I want to be a part of problems, it. To be honest, I, all right, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's easy to become a lunatic when um, that is going on in your life. And the woman, but there's that, lots of successful people who didn't become. All right, but the woman that, that founded Spanx, you know that Sarah Blakely. Yeah, Sarah Blakely. It was an incredible. She sold fax machines. Yeah, I'm talking about, she like, was fully bootstrapped. She had no other. Yeah, but she was. She started off. You know how I sold fax machines. So she yeah. she bootstrapped going door to door selling fax She's machines. Incredible. Oh, it's a great. And story. so this is what she says about billionaires or becoming very successful. She says they don't change who you are. They just let you be completely who you already are. Yeah. And so I think there is definitely truth in that. And so if you're if you're nuts, you just become much more <laughs> nuts. But if you're a good person, then you can do all this yep. philanthropy and whatever. No, totally and so I think I think it's difficult to know personally. I think it's difficult to know what Adam Newman really is because of what happened to him in his That's life. That's it. He had a partner called Miguel Miguel McKelvey who seemed fairly normal. Mm. So. Uh, like Adam wasn't so, it's but if he wasn't somewhat nuts, he wouldn't have. We were could yeah, have become what it became. Yeah. I'm, I'm not excusing the behaviour. Yeah. I'm just saying. Remember when they listed there was we were trying to list the infamous 47 billion yeah. valuation in the first place, and there was revealed that he bought the WeWork brand and then made WeWork pay, basically blackmailed WeWork to paying him more. He owned a bunch of buildings that he leased to WeWork at I think a pretty lofty price. There well, was I a think pretty that's greed, stuff. right? Uh, like yeah. you, that's greed, and you know 100%. my views on greed. Greed is the scariest human emotion to be facing in someone. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. As Scott Galloway says, uh, Adam Newman took a $1 billion plus commission for destroying tens of billion dollars of, of value. No one, yeah. no one else has ever done that in the history of business. I think, but what is, we talked about how we, you said how WeWork was never going to work. I'm not sure. I, I think the shared work, uh, there are issues with it clearly because you're, you're renting, you're renting long and you're, you're. Not the category. My issue is not with the category. I thought your issue was with the category. No, my issue is like, the way that this – you know, there are these brands that were very prominent and grew from uh, like the 2010, 2010 onwards, which were basically, we're not going to worry about our unit economics. We're just going to burn cash and build a brand yep. and then it will work it out afterwards. Capitalist competitive advantage. Right, exactly. And so I saw that with Casper, the mattress brand in the US. Yep. So it was, that was not a good idea, okay? It's, yeah. And so uh, like in my view is if you're going to be doing something, you should try – I mean, maybe software – Subscription software is a bit of an exception to this, although their unit economics are great. Like, you need to try and make money off every transaction. First purchase. Yeah. Minimum like profit off first purchase is what, sort of what you're suggesting. Exactly. And so WeWork basically gave away this crazy lifestyle that was not economically viable and destroyed the unit economics of the business on the basis that they were going to be a winner-takes-all brand and then they would worry about how to make money afterwards. And I don't really think there was any thought given to the afterwards. That, yeah. That's what I mean by I don't think it ever had a chance of working. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. And there are plenty of great shared workspace businesses yeah. out there that have done really well. Um, clearly, we worked just. But then, after Adam Newman left, it appeared to 
take a much stronger form of rationality. But I think that the carryover leases that it had and the carryover obligations were just too much for it. And Newman, as Newman was once, and WeWork was once the biggest renter of space in New York City. Mm. It's just incredible to think that that, and that business was like five years old. And time. can you imagine how those would have been negotiated? Like think about you negotiating your office space. Like I wouldn't want to be the counterparty negotiating <laughs> Long against and you, frankly. You yeah. But can you imagine how WeWork was negotiating? Like there was money everywhere. Yep. And there just would have been, I would guess, no commercial aggression whatsoever in negotiating these leases. And so speed, yep. they wanted, yeah, let's grow fast. Don't worry, throw money at the problem, which, you know, we've all thrown money at problems when we've got growing pains in businesses. But I, I think fundamentally the entire structure of that business was never going to work on a unit economics basis. And I think the the other impact of that was we work pushed up office rents pre COVID significantly, yeah. and then you had the work from home thing, which we can do another is another another talk show, and then obviously we work downsizing, which is why we have this massive problem with office space, and mm. we 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 changed floors in our Sydney office to a much better floor, and we I think we're paying much less per seat following that, mm. so we've seen a complete turnaround, and there's just this massive write off of of trillions of dollars of value from office space. And WeWork was a part of that. It wasn't the only part, but when you're mm. at the margin and paying up prices, that's oh, considerably absolutely. increasing the notional valuation of commercial property, which is now reverted to more than reverted to the main. Office buildings in Australia globally have got big problems. You know, um, the Grosvenor Tower in Sydney, it's a yep. Harry yeah, yeah. Seidel building. It's a Deutsche or something, one of those places there. Or City, it's, I forget what you It's right there. near, it's right down near the Circular Quay in Sydney. Yep. Like a very prestigious building, harbour views, like a beautiful harbour views. Three or four Sydney Tethers, Chifley and the other one I got there. Yeah, well, Chifley is east on the east side and this is kind of in the middle right down at Circular Quay next to the Four Seasons Hotel, if you know where that is. And um, so that building has a – I don't know what their vacancy rate is now. The Salesforce one. It's across the road from Salesforce, yeah. Well, Salesforce is the same problem. They're trying to lease out the tower. building is unbelievable. Yeah, but, you know, like these buildings, I think Grosvenor is – it could be more than 50% vacant. So expensive. So Salesforce is similar. They're trying to lease out space. And so the prices have not yet come down to meet the market, but there are pretty enormous office lease problems that are going on globally at the moment. I think a lot of these office towers, like a lot of them are considering residential conversions or partial residential conversions. Yep. Yeah, I think that's going to be a story over the next five years. I think it is. I think we'll probably wrap it up there. We had a, another fantastic episode. Always absolute pleasure to chat with you once a week, I dear. <laughs> I hope you have a great weekend. Saw you, you twice got, this week. We did see it. Yeah, exactly. We had a fantastic event twice. last night. So you got a big weekend in plan? Big weekend planned? Uh, I'm hoping not. I just like bit to play gaming? sport on the bit weekend. No, too. physical sport, not uh, Age of Empires. No, I'm, I'm confident. Still I'm still actually uh, – I know. I'm up. saving my Age of Empires against you. I've, I played a few games of chess against my son. Like I play – Who wins that Oh, that God. It's a, it's a bloodbath for me. It's a massive – You win or you lose? No, no. I, I, I win one out of every ten games. Really? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's, he's a bit of a machine. <laughs> yeah. I take it in good – I'm proud of him for being able to That's destroy very, very me impressive. so consistently. Yeah, it's very impressive. Oh, so there's something I wanted to tell you, Adam. This is my idea. What is this? Because you know we're going to do a live episode. I haven't. We haven't fully. No, talked we about are going to do yeah. one. No, we are. Is this the fortress thing we're going to do? Well, we, I'm not sure where we're going to do it. But this good, is my this is my idea that we because there's not going to be that. Maybe there's going to be one or two hundred tickets or something, and yeah. so it'll uh, it'll be full. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we have a ticket in town. It's like Taylor Swift desk. Well, we need to get people to pay so that we can give the money to like a good charity. Is my theory. But anyway, we can talk about that. But this is my theory. That, that, that this is my approach. We're only going to make this known 
via our LinkedIn page. Yeah. That's where we're going to let people get tickets this from. One of the hottest LinkedIn pages in Australia, I think, at the moment. The hottest in Australia. Probably the hottest, after yeah. your personal account. The only so. operational involvement I've had in a business for a very long time is creating <laughs> our LinkedIn page. All the tools. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're actually really excited. We've got a special bonus episode coming up in a few days. So watch the feed. We've got one of Australia's best entrepreneurs on the show for an exclusive chat with us. So definitely keep an eye out for that one. I'm super excited about that episode. Look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks, Adi. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir. If you want to submit a question for the show, please send a voice recording to Adam J. Schwab at Instagram. Today's show was produced by Mike Liberale. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please give us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends. We'll be back next week for our weekly analysis of all things growth and tech.